This is I Don't Get It, the pop culture get off my lawn cast, featuring the open-minded musings of two early 40s curmudgeons staring down the prospect of entertainment irrelevance. No, I think I say early 40s every week, I think. Yeah, that's, you did say early 40s. Yeah, that's, I don't know. That's a way of denying your age. It, yeah, I don't know. It's like, why does that get pluralized? Anyway, I'm your co-host, Bill Scurry of American Caesar Enterprises, and I'm joined, as always, by the man I just spoke to. Uh, your other co-host, Noah Tarno, of the Big Quiz Thing, the trivia game show Spectacular. Back in San Francisco, Bill, last episode we were together in New York. That's true. Now we are on opposite coasts. The it's like, magic of the interwebs. It's like time travel. I, I, you know what? Whether we are next to each other in a Starbucks in the East Village or at the Grand Canyon or across the country speaking to each other by the, the merit of electrons and, and uh, you know, wires and transistors, vacuum tubes, yeah. somehow we always get this yeah. thing done. Vacuum tubes. Vacuum Wax tubes. Wax cylinders. <laughs> Automatons and, that, and Remember those music boxes, huh? Yeah, biplanes. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's see what we are talking about this week. This is, uh, you know, occasionally we traffic some suggestions from uh, listeners. People who come on the show, for instance, when we had Amanda Kudaswavy on, we talked about uh, Princess Elena. That was her call. This is the uh, listener dreams come true. This is the suggestion of a listener, John Jung, uh, who is a West Coaster, like you know, I think he's uh, in the Bay Area. Yeah, but neither of us know this guy. We don't know how he discovered the podcast. We're not friends with him, unlike most of our other listeners. So it's it's pretty flattering. So I guess that's one of the reasons we're we're listening to him. <laughs> well, yeah, he's our friend now. This guy, are you kidding me? I'm yeah, buying, now he's our friend. If he's got a topic every week, I'm buying the next round. Are you kidding me? After he suggested this on Facebook, uh, he then asked me for my, one of my kidneys. I agreed sight unseen just because he gave <laughs> us this podcast. Are you telling me that was a bad idea? That I should have maybe no, uh, kicked the tires on that a little more? I don't know. I am. I'm like you. I will do almost anything for public praise, but uh, I don't think I'd go quite. <laughs> that far i'm sorry so the topic that uh he suggested this week is vaporwave something i was actually familiar vaporwave. with vaporwave yes I, I knew what it was but no one hadn't heard it before and no. I'm, I'm sure that uh, with the exception of uh john no one else has heard of it either it's a relatively small concern culturally and i was aware of that when i started i found it by accident as the score to an online video not understanding what i was hearing until i poked around using shazam to figure out who did this song and then the world opened itself to me like a beautiful lotus so uh vaporwave <laughs> is a form of electronica, which I would uh, relate to the art of collage, only in an audio sense. You, you still haven't stated yet that it's music, Bill. Yeah, no, I, sa- I said electronica music. I think people people got the... You said uh, electronica. You didn't say music. I think people get what I'm talking about. So I'm, it, I'm being pedantic. You're being pedantic. It was a form yeah. of electronic music and an internet meme, which is, this was just weird. This is like this this duality. It's probably only about eight years old. The style is defined by appropriation of 80s and 90s mood music styles, such as smooth jazz, elevator music, R&B, lounge, typically sampling that music and manipulating the tracks via a technique called chopping and screwing, which was used uh, in hip-hop, Houston, I think, was the uh, bedrock for that kind of thing back in the day, the chopped and screwed movement. The surrounding subculture is sometimes associated with an ambiguous or satirical take on consumer capitalism, and pop culture tends to be characterized by a nostalgia or a surreal engagement with pop entertainment, technology, and advertising, weirdly enough. Heavy use of advertising motifs, both visual and audio, because this isn't just music, even though we're pretty much talking about music. It's accompanied by a strong visual angle as 
well. And in case you want to Google this, the people, the names you want to know, because it's a pretty small crowd, I think the top luminaries of the moment are a guy named James Ferraro, a guy named Daniel Lopatine, who goes by the name of Oniotrix Point Never. Just all of these people go by so many different names. No, it's true, um, and that that's very so, much a, that's a yeah. that's a very postmodern type thing. But Oniotrix Point Never did the soundtrack to one of my favorite movies from a few years back called Good Time by the Safdie Brothers. It was a really avant-garde soundtrack for a movie that was pretty good. Great, great, great movie about how they struggled in the inner city in Chicago. Good time. It was great. <laughs> and they always said dynamite. The the uh, I think the luminary of this form is a woman named Ramona Xavier who goes under one of her names is Macintosh Plus and she has another name called Vectroid. <laughs> anyway, that that's like... How's that legal to just call your act Macintosh Plus? Like, I don't know, but I... feel I, like... It's I, like, yeah, my band is called McDonald's. It's I would just, like it's to be known. Strange. I would like to be known as Crystal Pepsi for now on, Noah. That'll be my <laughs> exactly. my appellation. We're talking about music, but this is very specific. You see where we're getting out here. It's a very specific type of music. And again, from our previous dalliances with music, we know where Noah's compass points to. Um, so what I'm going to do, <laughs> not to this, not to about this. That. What I'm going to do is ask Noah, what do you think of this, my friend? As always, because I am pedantic, I, I need to add a few things to what you said. The most cogent description of this I found which I liked was chill wave for Marxists. You're probably saying what's chill wave. Chill wave is a bigger genre in that it's like electronica music to like mellow out to is basically all you need to say. And it's that kind of thing, uh, appropriating the old mellow genres of smooth jazz and quiet storm and Muzak and yacht rock and things like that. But with that consumer parodying angle, which you really only get with the imagery. And yes, the imagery is nostalgic. A lot of it is like Jap- uh, I saw this thing, old Japanese Coke ads, you know, like eight bit graphics from the early 90s, late 80s. I mean, it's definitely nostalgia for, you know, mid 80s through 9-11 kind of era. As for what I think of it, well, Bill, you're right. I mean, if anyone listens to this podcast or knows me, knows I am a rock and roll person in any music outside the genre of rock and roll. I don't want to say I have trouble with, but definitely uh, I don't love. It's hard for me to cotton to. That being said, um, I like this. I don't like it so much as music, although it is music. I always hate it when people argue that music they don't like is not music. Everything's music. Banging your fist on a table is music. Uh, I don't like it so much as music. I like it as art. And I like modern art. I don't know much about modern art. I always have a good time at a modern art museum. I always like you know, the sculptures and paintings where people argue over whether it's art or not. I find that stuff more interesting, to be honest, than a Renaissance painting. Coming at this music from that perspective, I do find it interesting. The way they reappropriate all these sounds and these images and are playing the, the chopped and screwed element where they're playing with computerized techniques to screw up the volume and the pacing and the speed and fading out in weird places. I mean, when I started listening to this, I thought there was a problem with my computer. I kind of like that thing. I dig this stuff. Now, I'm not going to go buy it. I'm not going to add it to mixtapes. Uh, it's good background music. I mean, it's funny. It's kind of like how I think about um, classical music. Like, I'm not passionate about classical music, but, you know, I like hearing it. I enjoy it in the background. And in fact, while I was prepping for this episode, I was doing some work while just playing like some half hour of vaporwave mix I found on YouTube. That was good. It was a good experience, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so I give these people a lot of credit. It's creative. It's interesting. That being said, and this is a criticism I have of a lot of modern artists as well, I always bristle at, well, it makes a statement about consumer culture. I feel like often people say that and it doesn't. I, I have that pro- we were talking about this I have that problem with modern art where like the wall text on a sculpture will say like you know by juxtaposing this with this it makes a statement about 
the Cold War in Romania in 1985. And I'm like, no, nah, it really doesn't. If the wall text has to tell me that, it didn't succeed in making that statement. And I almost prefer not a specific statement and more a feeling, a sense. Now, we are so suffused with consumer culture and any thinking person wrestles with that so deeply that you don't have to make a specific argument about consumer culture to make a consumer culture argument. Does that make sense? Like yeah, you totally. could feel something about Yeah, you could feel something about consumer culture without someone like making a cogent argument. And I get that from this. And by listening to this music that throws together weird elements and speeds up and slows down and shows impossibly happy Japanese people drinking coke, I do feel like a message is being imparted, an incoherent message, but a powerful message nonetheless. What about you? Mr. Electronica? I love it. I went on a buying binge last yeah. night. Not that I had no... I already had uh, Macintosh Plus's album called Flower Shop. I bought that about two years ago. Yeah, I went on a, sp a spree on Bandcamp. I just went like crazy buying... Uh, I think his name is 2814-2814. My favorite Rush album. My favorite <laughs> Rush album. St. Pepsi. This guy, Ryan DeRobertis, who, Pepsi. by the way, is from the exact same small town on Long Island that I'm from, Farmingville. You were a key influence on him. I am an export. I am one of the, the greatest exports that, that Farmingville, Long Island has had to boast in its, uh, uh, whatever, 120-year lifespan as a municipal body. But th this was great. I love the sounds of this. And I'm with you in terms of, I th you know, you'd mentioned when we talked about this before we went hot with the mics that um, wall-type in museums, it was a pretty good, uh, not a metaphor, but like an analogy to this sort of thing. Whereas if you got to tell people what the deal is, I'm guessing it has more to do with you're exhibiting your bent as the kind of person who is in a position to write that text rather than anything that text might actually say. You're almost maybe being too analytical a weenie for your own use. This music has I mean, divorced from whatever the intent is. And to be honest, I listen to all music mostly divorced from whatever the intent is. Maybe except for when you have a soundtrack and then it becomes intermarried with the visual images and the themes of the film that it comes from. If you were to tell me that this was, in a lot of cases, it's like old Kmart walkthrough themes that become... yeah repurposed and you know Lionel Richie songs and Diana Ross songs especially the Diana Ross song it's your move on flower shop that's slowed down in this kind of fun creepy way yeah that's the song we heard on the uh, on the intro for this today actually I really enjoy that recontextualizing something that existed in one form you know the nice thing is is that when you change it around enough it completely loses any connection the elasticity allows it to stretch beyond whatever the original intent was and it becomes a wholly new thing Thing. It related, there was some sound theorist, I want to say, in the early 80s or the late 70s. This is some YouTube video I watched yesterday. The guy's theory was recorded music itself becomes an instrument and or a note to be performed with. Uh, independent absolutely. Of and independent of copyright, you know, and, and from there you get the culture of sampling and how useful that's actually been and how illustrative, illuminative that's been. And some of the greatest albums I've read, you know, I've played in the last 30 years, DJ Shadow's introducing and Luke Vibert's uh, work. He's done his Wagon Christ and Plug. That stuff is just incredible. And it's mostly based on collaging existing samples to make wholly new things. So whether or not you're taking the piss on um, consumer culture and Pepsi commercials from Japan, or these lo-fi VHS degraded images of sunsets and palm trees and marble busts and all the various things that are leitmotifs for this. That's fine. You can have that. I think as music 
not all of it uh, succeeds, certainly, but I found so much going down a rabbit hole that hit the same, that scratched the same itch for me. And I, I just, it's this, very, it's this mood and this atmosphere. And that, I know, is explicitly yeah. being tried for. And I really enjoy whatever the influence of these, and these are young people. Yeah, but all, all, all musicians are young people. I know, but there's, I mean, you know, like Moby and, and uh, Aphex Twin, you know, these guys were making music a long time ago, and they still make great music, but they're way older than us. Yeah, but but they're the, they're the old generation. I sure, mean, yeah. We, we could have done this podcast 20 years ago and talked about electronica, and we'd be talking about Moby and Aphex Twin, and we go, these are young guys, you know? I mean, yeah, sure. 20 but, I years mean, ago, they were in their 20s. But it, regenerate, yeah, it know, regenerates itself. You, you wonder what are the new influences that some of these kids, and I think, like, for instance, Macintosh Plus, Ramona's. Xavier is quite young. I think she's only 26 years old. I mean, that's that's preposterous. But that, I don't think that's that young for a musician, for a popular musician. Well, I think I for mean, a musician... We dealt for with mu- this with Greta Van Fleet. Those guys are all 20, which really isn't that strange. Sure, but I think I mean, that... Led, how old were Led Zeppelin when they were on the top of the charts? 23, 24? I think there's a difference I mean, between on. making good music and then doing something technically that's so canny. And it, it's not just making music. I feel like it's... Yes, it's hard enough to pick up a Stradivari and play it and make it sound great. And I understand right. how difficult that is. But for me, there's another layer of wonder over how much much prowess one needs to run either uh, Pro Tools or some music software to chop this up. But So it, requ- it requires all this programming savvy on top of being able to actually make music. And those are two different skills. So I mean, I'm, you're, 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 I think sort of what you're saying is they've become less different skills as music has become more programming you know as right exactly as existing music has become an instrument or source material for new music in and of itself yeah so i don't think it makes someone a genius if they know how to sample at the age of 18 versus they know how to play a guitar at the age of 18 Maybe so. You know, I'm giving a lot of credit because it's still un- untapped territory. I'm still, my hair is being blown back by the quality of this sound and how personal it is for me. The sound about, like, it's something in the mood and the atmosphere sounds designed for me where I can't listen to something like an acoustic guitar and I can't listen to something like folk music and I can't listen to Drake, for instance. Those things, they don't, they don't apply to me. The sound, the mood, it, it evades me. There's nothing there for me, but this sounds like there is something there for me. And the fact that some, mm. 20, that some 24-year-old kid could make something that appeals to me 118 year old man I think is a wonderful phenomenon (laughs) I love that I love the fact that uh, I, I found this why is this popular now what do you say well, because it comes out of a very niche, niche, niche subculture, this music was born of Reddit and 4chan and very yeah. closed communities. Let's say the popularity is a scale market. Let's say it is not with billions of people. Let's say that it is hundreds of thousands of people who were in very small places, little chat rooms off to the side, you know, Reddit, subreddits, things like that. It's popular there because it winds up becoming something enthused about by uh, maniacs, people who are really, really into it. You find it if you can get to these small subreddits you're probably already a like-minded lunatic who's ready to like buzz right in there you know exactly what this says and it's an arms race amongst people who are looking to find new samples someone hasn't found before and say new things with it that people haven't really said before that it breaks out that like me uh, uh, an 87 year old eunuch could find this stuff today and somehow wait you just de-aged about 30 years in the last uh, two minutes i'm feeling much better i'm feeling much better 
Good, good, good. <laughs> but it's like I'm divorced from that subculture as much as you can possibly get. And yet the music must still be good. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say is that in some ways, no matter what, if it's Marxism, if it's uh, collageism, if it's piss taking, you know, one of my notes here says, is it making fun of the sources? Yes. Does that matter? No. I mean, and you can say that about any number of things, whether it's a Weird Al song or right. a D- Dr. Demento. If something is be- with a heavy sense of irony, the thing is, it's like you can listen to something ironic and divorce the irony from it if you don't know what the fucking right. irony is supposed That's to be. That's happened since time immemorial. Yes. Yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? Where it yeah. was a parody of the thing it eventually became. But I think that there is yeah. a spirit to this that applies to young people. If you are looking to find some authenticity in shitting on consumer culture. And the only thing that's weird about this is the nostalgia for the 80s. Because to them, you're talking about a lot of kids who were born in the mid to late 1990s. And yes, but I had a lot of nostalgia for the 60s when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's not nostalgia. It's you hear enough when you're a kid that you you adopt the nostalgia. It's not. Know, yeah, that's the thing. It's like this nostalgia. Technically, what does it mean? Homesickness is it the actual Greek word means sickness. Uh, home. Yeah, like a longing for home or something. Yeah, and it's know. like well, so keep talking. I'll look it up. I don't think that's the right term because you were never there. What you are going for is this idea in your head. There's some miasma, this image you think of what it must have been like to be there, and you are associating with it. I'm not. I'm not diminishing. But even if you were, but uh, come on, even if you were there, what you long for isn't the reality of, of it. What you long sure. for the are the, the constructed reality in your head, which yeah. is usually, if you're nostalgic about it, much nicer and simpler than it actually was when you were living it. So yeah, I, I, it's, not, it's, it's, it's almost semantics whether you lived through something or not. If this is what's driving the movement to some degree, I'm all for it. Uh, however it takes, if it's the image of what somebody imagines it was like to be in 1983, listening to Jan Hammer albums, then fine. Or, you know, crappy low-res pictures of Miami sunsets, then... That's great. You're conjuring all that stuff. And it's a powerful image. The sum of the parts is greater than the whole or, or even vice versa. Yeah. I don't even know how you would describe it. It's a little weird, but um, probably all those things is a good example of why it's popular. I don't know. So what what do you think about this? I'll come at it from another angle, which applies to most electronic music and sampling. Um, and I've, I've referred to this in other, con- uh, other contexts in the past, but we're entering... And if you want to be negative, we're entering the twilight of our culture, but we're certainly entering a, a phase of our culture where it's folding back in on itself. And a lot of what's popular is, you know, why every movie calls back to an old show. You know, celebrity is the most powerful force. It's about remembering what you already know. And the creative people, instead of just throwing out a celebrity there or shot for shot remaking an old TV show, is finding new ways to find new art and new creativity in the use of familiar, if not specific songs, but sounds and images. Recontextualizing all that, mixing and matching it, chopping and screwing it, to use the term. We are in a state in our culture, partly also because we have so much in our head, so we have to use it for something. When people ask me why, you know, I do trivia events for a living and they ask why trivia is popular now, I'm like, well, because we're looking for ways to use this crap. I think that accounts for a lot of what makes sampling as a umbrella term for music like this and music like so many other things to really catch on. And also the technology is at a point where this is, if not easier, it's easier to be creative with it. And why the the specific hallmarks of Vaporwave, whether it's this quote unquote glory days of 80s, 90s, why it's consumer culture. I mean, I I definitely think there's nostalgia for what consumer culture was simpler when you didn't have ads bombarding you 
constantly. When it was, you know, you only got an ad when you turned on the TV or you opened a magazine. Ads were a lot less cynical then too. It was like, hey, we love this product. You'll love it too. I guess Vaporwave is honest about it. Like throwing this stuff in our face and playing with it. You know, and nostalgia's powerful. Like I feel some nostalgia for this, certainly for ads I saw when I was a kid and and the early computer internet days graphics where everything was so innocent and the internet was just cool and neither... You know, it wasn't destroying the world and it wasn't something I need to survive moment to moment. It was just cool. Noah, think back to being a kid, because we were a kid in the same uh-huh. era. Would you have liked this uh-huh. sound? Uh, maybe, maybe. I mean, I never, I've always been the rock guy, so I never was passionate about sounds like this. But I think I would have appreciated the art of it. I mean, I studied media studies and media culture and reception theory and all these things. I was very fascinated by it. I still am. I don't read about it anymore because I'm lazy. But I still am interested in this stuff. So I can imagine really enjoying like writing a paper on it in school or something. Uh, but I don't think I'd be like hanging out in like 4chan message boards about it or like racking up albums of it. I mean, no one racks up albums, downloading all the songs of it. Uh, so I, I think there's a chance I'd like it more, but I don't think I'd be Mr. Vaporwave. I would say that that I don't have a real nostalgia for the 80s. I don't think it was a, it was far from the best point in my life. I don't need that to make me feel good like somehow the current days are, are somehow terrible and you know we're all just burning in a sulfur pit. However, the sounds, a lot of the sounds and I have, you know, I have a very broad mix of music and sounds that I listen to come from all different origins and sources. A lot of that synthy stuff that we had growing up just as a part of music turning less analog and more digital. I mentioned Jan Hammer, for instance, the guy who did the Miami, Miami Vice theme. That And Giorgio Moroder, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, just as two, two examples were something that I really... Uh, Van, Van Gelis, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, before I even understood what the, what the hell they were. Synthetic music always appealed to me. Always. So this yeah. is big, big difference between you and me, Bill. Big difference. I know. Yes. Yes. Exactly. But this stuff, if it's chopping and screwing, and and uh, you know, I think you may have even intimated the fact that it might be easier for someone to get their hands on Pro Tools than an electric guitar. Yeah. The ability to make music as a programmer may, in fact, be simpler than to learn analog music through instruments. If you know, playing an actual baby grand or a piano forte or maybe a, a, a shortcut into into playing music. How, how again? However, it comes about. The sound and the mentality and the the technique that these people use is right up my alley. But I wouldn't call it nostalgia. It just happens to be the era of where that sort of synthetic music maybe was at its most debauched, glorious commercial peak. I'm not like anti-synthesizer. Like a lot of my favorite rock and roll has like heavy keyboard, but like it's being played by a human being. You know, I love New Wave especially British New Wave from the late 70s, early 80s. Bands, a lot of British bands like Elvis Costello and the Attraction and Squeeze. And, and a lot of those acts really had heavy keyboard, but they were they were rooted in performance. You know, it was less about turning on the computer and leaving the room and more about banging on an instrument that made a certain sound. But other than that, I'm like the exact opposite from you because mm. I like stuff that feels organic in a way. Uh, but I can, you know, I respect your viewpoint. Uh, despite you being wrong, I respect <laughs> 
So, Bill, you know, I have to ask, is the rise of vaporwave and associated genres a sign of the a sign of doom, impending apocalypse? Now, you know, there's some jerky things that were around vaporwave. You know, that, that you alluded to a chill wave before. There's a shitload of subgenres of music that are appended with wave. But there is something called like fash wave. I don't know if you heard that, which is fash wave. Yeah, it's like Trump. Well, like know, fashion or fascism or what? Fascism is like Trump supporters. It's like white supremacist chill wave. And it's like, oh, it's, it's, such, a, it's such a boutique thing that these kids in 4chan and Reddit like make up little, little, you know, demimons over. And I, I mean, I'm not yeah. saying that this has the, nothing- the genre, I, the genre I stumbled upon that I really loved was shit gaze. I love that. Shit you gay. That. I don't even know what it sounds like. I just like the name. I Shit just gay. I don't even want to know what it means. But it's like there's nothing. Yeah, wrong. I don't. I don't want to. I'm sure yeah, I'll hate it. Yeah. Vaporwave has nothing to do with it. I think vaporwave is fine. I mean, it struck me that the preciousness, I guess, of it, as you said before, the uh, espousing its influences, talking about how whatever this is, it's supposed to be Marxism. It's supposed to be this. It's supposed to be that. Yeah. The sort of pretentious intent is not apocalyptic thing. It just sounds a little irritating when you when you start enumerating it. But just listen to the fucking music and it's fine. So no, I don't. I don't think there's anything apocalyptic about it and i only brought up the white supremacists because they're everywhere these days and everyone has managed to infiltrate all things that are good so but this has really little little to do with that my answer i mean there's there's two ways of interpreting this question is the fact you know often we say yes because like the fact that this shit is popular means we're all doomed i I don't think that's the case because i think it's very creative what what might be apocalyptic about it is the fact that it's commenting on things that are apocalyptic Okay. The fact that consumer culture rules all. The fact that our lives are dictated by empty shopping and insipid mall music has now become a lingua franca, in a manner of speaking. That it's pointing out the emptiness of modern society. And that emptiness will bring us to doom. We are recording today, uh, Saturday after Thanksgiving. Yesterday, of course, is what they call Black Friday. And, and people often you know, roll their eyes about that. But this, I mean, I, I'm one of these people, I don't want to harp on it, but finds the, the consumerism of the holidays to be really troubling. It seems in our society, we are we are motivated more by buying crap to show love for people than almost anything else. It's a little tiresome and cliche to, to talk about it, but I do think it's a problem. I mean, look, this is a small micro genre, so it's not, again, I, I often say stuff like this, like it's not winning Kennedy Center, Center Awards or anything. It's not apocalyptic in and of itself, but it points out some disturbing trends. As a musical style, Vaporwave owes a lot of its roots to something called plunderphonics. In his 1985 essay, Plunderphonics, or Audio Piracy as Compositional Prerogative, John Oswald argued that musical recordings themselves should be treated as a form of musical instrument, writing, a sampler is simultaneously a documenting device and a creative one, in effect reducing a distinction manifested by copyright. So, Noah Tarno, is your dislike, your horrible enmity, based in jealousy in this instance? You know, I thought about this before we started recording, and I'm going to say no. All my fantasies about being a musician were never the genre. Uh, I'm not a computery guy, so I never had my little dreams of making mixes. And, and I mean, I like to recontextualize and play with things in my work, but in such a different way of this. So, and also like, it's not so huge. I, I, I mean, if you go back to our very early episode of electronic dance music, one of my problems with it was like, these guys get, you know, have thousands and thousands of fans and get millions and millions of dollars for just, you know, spending 20 minutes pressing a few buttons. And I just roll my eyes about that. But these people seem to be way more creative than that. There is art here. So I'm, I'm not jealous. Good. Not at all. Good. 
Yeah, isn't that isn't that nice? I like I like it's nice re- real, real growth. I enjoy <laughs> I enjoy being here for I'm that. I'm growing on this show. I'm growing thanks to I don't get it. I don't Pop get it. Get off my Making Noah yeah. into the man he is today. Well, this I'm going to take an NA on this one. This doesn't apply to me. Okay. Yeah, for all, all the reasons you said, there's nothing inbound in here. I get to be purely an audience spectator in the purest sense and really enjoy it. I like If we are going to hell, let this be the soundtrack uh, playing on Spotify while we're uh, driving down the road to hell. I'm, I have no problem with that whatsoever. Wow. Good. Look at that. Hey, we When's did When's the last it. time we did something we liked this much? That's, uh, I think, uh, I don't know, I always think of Key and Peele, for instance, but I'm sure there's been yeah. a few more Well, we, we, we were complimentary about Canna's sexuality. I mean, yes, okay, yes, that's true. quite as complimentary. Uh, yeah, Key and Peele, we loved in Black Mirror and Death Note. There was other stuff. Hey, Ashley Manta wrote back to us. I think she felt uh, flattered. Yes, I know. She felt flattered. First that time. We, the first subject, time a subject, The, the subject yes. of a show. The, the, the serpent has eaten its own tail, my friend. We are into yes. the Ouroboros oh. portion of the show. Coming up next, we're going to be invited backstage to party with Greta Van Fleet. <laughs> and... Uh, Play. I was gonna say like, if it had been Led Zeppelin, it'd be like and snort coke off the belly of a groupie. But the Greta Van Fleet guys probably just play video games and eat Cheetos. So. Kombucha, yeah. Probably just isn't drink. that much fun backstage. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, guys, if you want to find past episodes of our show, look on Apple Music, iTunes, dot dot dot, SoundCloud, Google Play, <laughs> Stitcher, you name it. Tweet to us at Noah and Bill Show. Follow John Jung's example. Give us yes, a topic please. because this, again, we are making listeners' dreams come true. So write to us at no and Bill Don't Get It and, uh, or, you know, tweet to us. That's the way it works. Visit idontgetitpodcast.com. All our episodes are there. Give us a review. Look for me on Twitter at William Scurry. I'm on YouTube at AM Caesar. And Noah Tarno, where are you? Uh, bigquizthing.com at bigquizthing at Noah Tarno. Trivia events, the best in the world. Uh, holiday season is crazy, but there's always room for you. Looking for 2019. It's all happening, kids. Yeah, man. It sounds like you need you need to chill out with some deep chill wave. I think that would carry you through the I, holidays. I chill wave, or or uh, what? What was the term? I also read sea punk. Sea punk. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's characterized by like pictures of dolphins. Um, yeah, right. What about what about trivia yeah. wave? Have they come up with trivia wave yet? Trivia wave. I'm coming up with that. Man. <laughs> I'm doing that. I went through this period where literally I was thinking of like everything that is themed in different ways. Like, what if it had a trivia theme? Like, I, I spent a little time thinking, like, what if I pitched a trivia film festival, you know, and all this stuff? I mean, I once tried to get a New York City trivia festival off the ground. And, uh, well, that led to the Brooklyn Brain Jam, which you know all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a very different concept, but but born out of that. And it's just, it's, it's. I, I had a pitch for a trivia reality show, all this stuff. And um, I stick with what people are actually willing to pay me for, which is yeah. corporate trivia events, you know. Right. Like I'm at an age where no more fucking around. I need dough. Like everything like everything else in your life, it blew up in your face. So you learned your lesson from it that. It blew up in my face, yes. All right, everybody. So again, thanks for the suggestion. And uh, hopefully you will hear your topic on the show or we'll just come up with yep. our own dumbass ideas. But uh, see you next week. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2018.